1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
0: On this episode, a writer reconstructs the lost diary of JFK's mistress, Mary Pinchot Meyer, and speculates on why she was murdered and by whom.
2: She knew the players. I mean, she understood that the function of this commission was not to find who killed Kennedy or to examine a conspiracy. It was to make people complacent and to put it behind us before the election.
0: If you want to support my work here at Strange Planet, please consider becoming an official donor. It's easy. Just go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. There are several donation tiers to choose from, from a dollar per month to $50 a month. New donors at the $10, $20, and $50 per month tier receive a free mug from my Strange Planet shop. Donors in the $20 tier also have their names appear on a crawl during the YouTube live stream of my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show. And donors in the $50 tier receive a special on-air thank you on my radio program. Whatever you give, your support helps keep my radio program and this podcast going. Help me pursue the truth wherever it leads. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Thank you and God bless.
1: Conspiracy
0: Unlimited with Richard
1: Serres, Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
0: Welcome to your Monday. Jesse Kornbluth, the author of JFK and Mary Meyer, A Love Story, is here. Mary Pinchot Meyer was possibly the only woman John F. Kennedy ever loved. Jesse has reconstructed a fictional diary of the woman murdered for asking too many questions after the JFK assassination. Jesse has served as editorial director of AOL, co-founded BookReporter.com, and has been a contributing editor to Vanity Fair and New York the author of 4 nonfiction books, including Highly Confident, The Crime and Punishment of Michael Milken. He has written screenplays for Paul Newman, Robert De Niro, ABC, PBS, and Warner Brothers. Jesse Kornbluth, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you?
2: I am delighted to be here.
0: Tell me about your, what you describe as your uh, distant emotional attachment to the Kennedys.
2: You know, I was a little Jewish boy from the suburbs of Philadelphia, and then amazingly, I was at Milton Academy outside of Boston. T.S. Eliot went there, Bobby and Teddy Kennedy went there. It was uh, an extremely elite place. I mean, in the year I graduated, we graduated 44 boys. How many, Richard, do you think went to Harvard?
0: Forty. <laughs>
2: Might as well have been. Thirty. Thirty. Hmm. So, uh, and, and a lot of them were not the top of the class. They were legacies. And so Milton was a very, very special environment. And there were two groups of people who were greatly uh, influential in terms of this book. One is the girls I went to school with who were like the young Mary Meyer. Uh, they had looks. They had brains. They had ideas. Uh, they were completely mesmerizing and very different from the girls I knew in public school in Philadelphia and then there were their mothers and uh after soccer and football games in the fall in the gym uh they would set up these tables and there would be silver tureens and mothers uh would pour tea in like real china and those mothers were amazing to me. I had crushes on all of them. And those were women very much like Mary Meyer. They were beautiful, accomplished, well married, had money. Uh, they were to me the grail. And then there were, you know, the kids who were connected to the Kennedys. In particular, I was a friend of a guy named Sandy Spaulding, whose father was Charles F. Spaulding, who was one of Kennedy's closest friends. So he knew those people, and on the day of the assassination, he was the most broken person of all. And I had very little clue of, I mean, of anything. I mean, we were all just knocked out by the assassination, but he was knocked out more. And I walked him around for three hours and, and I listened to him, and I, I wish I'd taken notes. But, uh, so I, I'm sort of uh, a cousin once removed of this world.
0: Right. And you have a brother that would be a student mentor to one of Mary's two remaining sons.
2: Yes, exactly. I mean, the smallest of small worlds. And, you know, and we used to go to Deb parties in Washington. Uh, You know, Desmond Fitzgerald of the CIA, his daughter and and, and other people. Uh, it, It all seemed normal. You know, I didn't know anything about the CIA. And I didn't know that these people did amazing and often monstrous and often monstrous things. They were just, you know, rich people in nice houses.
0: And we found out about the relationship between Mary Pinchot Meyer and the thirty-fifth uh, president around nineteen seventy-six. I guess it was the National Enquirer that that um, that broke the story. When did you right. find? When did you find out?
2: Much, much later. I don't know. I mean, just recently. Uh, in nineteen eighty-nine, I did a documentary about Donald Trump with a woman named Libby Handros is a really gifted documentarian. It was called Trump. What's the deal? And it was funded by a really rich guy in New York who wanted to do a series about great business leaders. And Trump was obvious to do the first one. And in 1989, he was riding the crest. In 1991, when we finished, he was on his ass and he was not interested in having this appear on television. So he had his lawyers send a note on, you know, 80-pound paper saying, do not do this. And he also had, I believe, a gossip item put, I think, on the front of the Daily News. I could be wrong about the positioning, uh, saying that the wife of the financier had called him to ask for a date. And the financier understood correctly he was dealing with an animal, and this thing was suppressed for 25 years Uh, We finally got it out on YouTube in 2016 before the election, Trump, What's the Deal? Uh, And so uh, Libby mentioned Mary Pinchot Meyer, and I do what I always do. I do a little Googling, and I'm very, very fond as a writer of stories that are hidden in plain sight, things that are footnotes to other stories, because – I, w- I worked for Tina Brown at Vanity Fair for a number of years, and she always said, when people think the story is over, that's really a good time to start. And I had written a very successful play uh, that wants to come to New York about Henri Matisse at the end of his life who made his masterwork, The Chapel Advance. And many people go there. It's, it's a, it, is a, it is his masterpiece. But the story, which is a footnote in a lot of art books, was never brought forward. So I wrote this play. And then here was Mary Meyer, same story, footnote in many books, uh, the subject of two books, one by Nina Burley, one by Peter Janney, neither of them spectacularly successful. And, uh, you know, the idea that she had had a diary and that it had been burned appealed to me both as, as, as a novelist as a, and as a journalist, because I thought, you know, I loved school. I'm that kid. I loved writing term papers. And so... I'll read a hundred books and I'll make a timeline of the Kennedy administration. And there's just enough written about her so I can grid her interactions with Kennedy, her known interactions against that timeline. And then the love story I will invent. But I like writing love stories. The last thing I wrote was a, a novel called Married Sex, a love story. And, um, you know, in, in my dotage, I'm very interested in, you know, basically two people in a room. That's the most interesting thing I could write about, and once I did the research and did the timeline, I basically heard Mary. I, I heard Mary's voice. Uh, the, the thing that people say about my book was that it's, uh, they have trouble uh, believing that a guy wrote this woman so credibly, and I could say I channeled it, which is not exactly accurate. But the thing is, Richard, all my friends are female. I've always been the guy who hangs out with lots of women. I've always been a little scared of men. I've had some bad experiences with men. And so I could get a feeling for her. Getting a feeling for Jack was much harder because he was, you know, two people. And one of them was terrific and idealistic uh, at the end. Um, And then one of them was really very, very sick. And it's been great finishing this book and getting him out of my head. But I miss Mary.
0: Hmm. JFK and Mary Meyer, A Love Story um, Talk to me about how you constructed this book It's a, it's a work of, of fiction, as you say But that the voices are, are very genuine The timeline is there, of course The, back, the historical backdrop Because the, the, the actual diary, as we learn Was burned by Ben Bradley and Tony Who was Mary's sister So how did you know what to put in there?
2: Well, for one thing, I don't write in sequence, so I wrote everything I could write, right, that was documented. You know, what happened at a White House dinner that Mary was at. But then uh, I worked on probability. I mean, here's the thing. If, I mean, as you know, if you can't write a scene, if you're having trouble writing it, it means you shouldn't write it. This book was not hard to write because I had so much knowledge and it, it's weird because sometimes people will interview me and I'll say, well, as Mary said to Jack, and then I said, oh, no, 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 no. I made that up. But it sounds so right. And this is also the uh, the power of the diary form. If I can just talk for a second about what's wrong with books now. Uh, books are way too long. Fiction is way too long. It's way too well described. Uh, the book business does not un- seem to understand that a book is not in competition with other books, it's in competition with everything.
0: Mm.
2: No one is paid to read your book. So you have to seduce the reader. And the best way to do it is a form that's very congenial to me, because I've been a screenwriter, I am a playwright. And it's it's a diary. It's written as a diary. It's not uh, you know, long paragraphs, it's quick perceptions, it's conversations that she's recollected. And as a result, the book is amazingly fun to read. And this is like the really weird thing about the book. I've never had a book launch this fast, I've never had like 35, five star ratings on Amazon so quickly. The thing is, it's so fun to read that people don't quite come to terms with what it is about. Which is about an unsolved murder and a tragedy.
0: One of the things that that is painfully obvious, and you know I, I, I've read a fair bit about uh, Kennedy, and i've I've learned a lot about um, Mary, from your book and from others, how much alike they were in a couple of ways. And one is that they were both very uh, lonely, isolated. and uh, because we had Jack Kennedy, who almost waltzed into the Oval Office, as a sacrificial lamb because he was surrounded by this national security state. It was like the perfect storm. He was like blindsided. And then we had Mary who was surrounded by, married to, best friends with the CIA.
2: Right, which she was not happy about. Uh, And when she married, her husband was a great progressive. He was really the guy who was gonna be Jack Kennedy, but he had a terrible personality. And he kind of stalled as a writer, and then he went to the CIA and became an alcoholic and extremely conservative, bitter, and paranoid. So she was a CIA wife, and then some, uh, with a lot of skepticism. The thing about Kennedy, which which you mentioned, is something that's not generally appreciated, which is, this was a terrible marriage. Um, It was a deal. He needed to get married so people wouldn't say he was gay when he ran for politics because he was 35. And she needed to get married because she was 25. And in those days, if you weren't married at 23, you were rapidly approaching your sell-by date. I mean, he proposed by telegram from London. It was not romantic. It was. It looked romantic when the cameras and the lights were on. But otherwise, I mean, as someone said... Uh, he always he treated her like he was doing her a favor. And, of course, he was unfaithful to an amazing degree and right in her face. So, uh, yeah, when Mary says, uh, you know, lonely as Jack Kennedy, she's got a very, very good take on him. And in my sense, she was his last chance to have a reasonably sane private life. And uh, I don't believe she thought he could do it. And he, in the end, couldn't do it. He was basically a sex addict.
0: And they were both, my impression is sort of, again, swimming with sharks because she had a a friend from Vassar College who who married James Jesus Angleton, as you say, perhaps the the grandfather of the surveillance state, and a sister married to Ben Bradley, who was uh, initially a propagandist and later maybe involved in Operation Mockingbird.
2: Say it bluntly, he was a CIA asset all his life. I mean, and in a way, he was used by Kennedy. I mean, that, that friendship was I think very convenient for Kennedy because he told Ben stuff when he when he wanted it out and Ben never broke a confidence except once when he wrote something about how Kennedy didn't like the press and Kennedy didn't talk to him for six months and Bradley learned his lesson. I mean when you think of Bradley and you think of Jason Robards and yes. all the president's men. Yes. That's not who Bradley was. He would never have published the Pentagon Papers if he hadn't been boxed into it, if the Times hadn't gotten into trouble and the entire world looking at him for a shot of courage would not have happened unless the CIA told him to do it. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you know, levels and levels and levels. And I, you know, we can never know. We'll never know. That's the thing. All we can do is uh, conjecture if this is a hobby of ours and it's not a hobby of mine, But we can certainly say, I think, safely, which is, we don't know what really happened. And we don't know what the relationships really were between
0: these people. So Mary and and Jack knew each other for, I guess, 25 years before.
2: 1936. Right. 1936. Prep school dance at Choate. Right. And he was a horny kid who dropped out of Princeton because he was sick. And he looked across the room and he hit on her and it didn't work and he he knew her uh in the 50s they he and jackie were next door neighbors to the myers in in virginia and then she moved to georgetown and jack was having an affair with pam tornore who was his secretary yes and uh she had trouble with her landlord mary took her in uh you know mary knew who jack was and then mary went to a white house lunch in the fall of 91 for otto preminger jack looked across the room and suddenly Although everyone thought he was just obsessed with her sister, suddenly he saw Mary, and, and so it began. And she fought him off for a while because she knew he was trouble, and she didn't think it would end well, and she really didn't see any upside.
0: And not on the, on the surface, certainly not his, his type at that point. She was older than, than the women that he would bed, but there was this emotional attachment. How did that happen for Jack?
2: Well... As I have written, and it seems like a credible conversation to me. He invites her to dinner in October of 61. Jackie's not there. They have a pleasant dinner. And she says, Jack, why am I here? Why isn't Jackie here? Well, I wanted to have dinner with you alone. She says, Jack, I'm 42 years old. I'm way too old for you. We've known each other. And he says, Mary, I need a friend. I want a friend. She says, you have lots of friends. He says, yeah, but they're all men. And she says, Jack, who says no to you? And he says, all day, every day. And she said, I mean, you know what I mean, women. Uh, well, women want seem to want to serve their president. She said, and, and not just the women who voted for you. He said, I don't ask, I just request. And she says, well, like tonight? He said, no, not like tonight, Mary. I want you to be a friend. I trust you. And then he says a line which once was the title of, 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 of once was the, the working title of the book. He says, I want you to be my beacon light, which is to say the woman he can trust most in the world. Because... Jack Kennedy was misogynist. There was not a woman in his cabinet. Uh, he didn't really like women. When he went to bed with women, he didn't often know their names. Um, completely disdainful of women. Kay Graham said that until her husband died, Jack looked right through me so not i mean but also these were the 60s i mean this is this is like the dark ages in terms the feminine mystique wasn't published until 1963 that was the the start of any feminist consciousness and and mary was a rebel which is you know a good thing she was halfway there and uh, she was independent she told jack what she thought and what she thought was that he ought to be more concerned with the poor, more concerned with peace, and less concerned with business. And he listened and he invited her, and this is true, to sit in the Oval Office during the day while he was doing his business. And she would sit and read or, you know, uh, sketch, and, uh, and then at night they would actually talk about stuff in a way that he could never do with Jackie. I mean, Jackie is not the sort of person who would say at night, so darling, what happened at the office today? Never. She was a best friend
0: who became a lover. Did Jackie know about their relationship, do you think?
2: Yes, she did, and she hated it. This was the one relationship that wasn't allowed. Don't sleep with your friends. You don't sleep with people in our circle. And Mary was had been Jackie's friend. Yes. I mean, Jackie had this European view of marriage, right? Men do this. This is what men do. And you just put up with it. But they are supposed to do it in a sophisticated European way. And Jack didn't. And so Mary was banned from the
0: White House talk to for me a about, while. Talk to me about... Mary, JFK, and marijuana.
2: Yeah, I think this is like overstated. Uh, it's in a bunch of books. And James Truitt, the guy who went and talked to the National Enquirer, says it's so. Let's say it was so that she brought weed. And it says in, in various accounts, they smoked six joints. That leads you to think this is really pathetic stuff. But okay. And, and he was hungry and wanted soup and ice cream. And then they did or didn't have sex. Yeah, But it wasn't something that he liked a lot. He had had cocaine in California, Peter Lawford's. That was more interesting to him, but not something he did in Washington.
0: Right. He'd rather have a daiquiri.
2: Yeah. I mean, Jack Kennedy was incredibly vain. He wanted to be thin and very attractive. So, you know, he ate very little and drank very little.
0: Then there is the... uh the meeting, I'm not sure if it's apocryphal or not, but uh, the, the meeting with Mary and Harvard professor Timothy Leary with regards to LSD or, or psilocybin.
2: Yeah, she, Mary had this idea, and it was actually sort of a charming idea, an innocent idea, that, and, and uh, an idea that had no knowledge of what the CIA was actually doing with LSD, that men could be more peaceful, but you can't talk them into it they have to experience something and the way to do that is through their women if a woman told her important husband you know let's do this instead of drinking on saturday night and then they had this profound experience and he saw the unity of all things and the glory of the world and the dangers of blowing it up and the insanity of the of the entire you know defense establishment well my god he might change the way he conducts his life very idealistic very naive and but incredibly well-intentioned. But I mean, I was at Harvard right after Leary. I knew people who knew Leary. Leary had a, a, a great ability to, uh, to fool himself. I mean, LSD was is an important tool in certain circumstances, but he rapidly went beyond doing controlled experiments into just, you know, getting completely blitzed. And if you read his books, like High Priest, you, you know, you see, he's describing these, you know, amazing acid trips. And uh, I do not believe that uh, Mary and Jack took a small dose of LSD, but I have no reason to think one way or, or the other. I just don't feel it. I don't
0: feel it's likely. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love Tales of the Paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. More of my conversation with journalist, author, screenwriter, Jesse Cornbluth, when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Have you ordered your bottle of Carbon 60 yet? The mighty Aphrodite and I have been taking a tablespoon of this miracle molecule suspended in olive oil for a few months now. We're taking the purest form of C60. It's called ESS60 and it's produced by our friends at c60evo.com. C60 in oil is a powerful antioxidant that moves through the body like a magnet to attract and neutralize free radicals. It can slow down aging and reduce cellular damage. C60 can improve the immune system and reduce inflammation naturally. Often we hear about improved vision and substantially keener mental focus. The mighty Aphrodite and I are sleeping much better, we're both pain-free, no joint stiffness or back pain, and that's why I call Carbon 60 the miracle molecule. It's great for us humans, and it's great for our pets. To order, go to c60evo.com. That's c60evo.com slash r-e-f slash r-s-1. Again, to order your bottle of ESS 60, Go to c60evo.com R-E-F-R-S-1.
1: The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard
0: Serrett. Jesse Kornbluth, the author of JFK and Mary Meyer, A Love Story. Is here. Let me ask you about his famous speech at American University, the commencement speech, the peace speech. Some assassination researchers have said that was really the nail in the coffin, his coffin. I'm absolutely,
2: wondering, absolutely, absolutely, it was a speech that Mary could have written.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. How much influence did she have? Do you think?
2: Well, she banged away at him for you know uh, years. Why don't you fund this? Why are you funding that? And he would explain the politics of it to her. Now, this is, my, this is my conjecture. Others have written it, too. But you know, no one knows what these conversations are. Let's reverse engineer it. Let's say Kennedy was killed for, for, for reasons, and they weren't any reasons connected to Lee Harvey Oswald. They con- could be connected to the oil depletion allowance, which was very, very useful for Texas oilmen. And... Kennedy proposed to take it away so he could fund poverty programs. Consider Kennedy against U.S. Steel, and mm-hmm. uh, when he was went publicly went to war, and he was a, uh, it looked like a real victory. It was a terrible miscalculation because it wasn't just U.S. Steel. If you look at the people on the board of U.S. Steel, these are the people who run major major companies and banks. So I mean, Kennedy alienated. Every power base that might have been useful to him, and the American University speech, which Khrushchev said was the greatest speech an American president ever gave, he had it republished in. He had it republished in Moscow. Uh, it was really just flagging the bull, right? And uh, basically, though, you still come back to the idea of like no, we don't have assassinations in America. I mean, yeah, sure, they hated him. Why didn't they get a candidate to, you know, who could take him out? Why would they want to actually kill him? And that is an act of such daring. Uh, it's like bin Laden taking the towers down. It's really hard to really hard to grok it. I mean, can you grok it? Yeah, I,
0: I wonder if, if that was... The, I mean, the intent is, is shock and awe and mass trauma and to tell the world we can do it in broad daylight and there's nothing you can do
2: about it. Right. And then a year later, let us say that Mary Meyer was not killed by the 110 pound black man who didn't seem to have a gun. Let us say, as Peter Janney says, after 30 years of research, that the witness, the jogger, who was jogging miles from his job, was actually connected to the CIA and could have been the trigger man. You know, so someone killed in broad daylight? (laughs) in Georgetown? I mean, this doesn't happen. So basically, we're talking about two unsolved murders here. And, you know, Mary's the least of it, because of course, she's a woman and who cares, but and, and there was, you know, no grand national mourning for her. But what happens is two things. Well, two things. Happen. One is you, you, as you say, you traumatize a nation, where people, know instinctively and they did 61 percent knew instinctively that oswald didn't do it and that has never changed but it also makes them passive and afraid and as you say if they could kill him they could kill anybody right? it's uh what you're looking at if you follow that logic is not an assassination but a coup yes and this is very 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 hard i mean I've been a reporter most of my life, a journalist, and I've done a lot of stories which, you know, the things that were turned out to be true were not the things I thought were true when I started. But I'm still, uh, in some ways, a child. Uh, not that I, I want to believe these didn't, things didn't happen this way. It's just very hard to process and then go about your life in your usual way. I mean, is you've looked at conspiracies of all kinds for years. How do you conduct your daily life.
0: You have to compartmentalize, uh, which is kind of, it's, it's rather cold and, and cynical to do that, but you have to live to fight another day, and so you you have to huh. clearly separate. I don't talk about these things over the breakfast table. It's, but you also yeah.
2: worry, I mean, you know, these are our children, right? I mean, you look yes. at your children and say, well, what is this world that they're going into, and how can I imbue them with optimism and hope for their personal lives when there are people who, for example don't really care if the world ends because right. they're making money now.
0: Right. Well, there will come a day when we have those sorts of talks, but uh, for now I, I try to preserve their, their innocence and childhood as long as I, as I possibly can. Yes, very good. So let's, let's talk about uh, after the assassination and, and the, the, like, three weeks... After the Warren report comes out, Mary is is murdered, as you say, in broad daylight in in Georgetown. But how closely was she following the Warren Commission?
2: Well, for one thing, uh, she knew the players. I mean, she understood that the function of this commission was not to find who killed Kennedy or to examine a conspiracy. It was to make people complacent and to put it behind us before the election. So she understood that. She also understood that it wasn't the Warren Commission, really, it was the Dulles Commission. That Alan Dulles went to every meeting and very much guided what happened there. So, um, as I say in the book, uh, she may not know who pulled the trigger, but she knew who bought the bullets, right. she thought. Right. And so she, could, she was never in doubt. <laughs> and she was quite clear the fix was in. She was just watching the process to the degree you could. I mean, there wasn't that much publicity about it, but, you know, people talked. And um, I'm sure talking to Ben and Tony, you know, things dribbled out. And, of course, as the last lover, she had a a sense of a purpose, a vengeance, of an attempt to get justice. Uh, You know, Kennedy had written a letter to her in October of 63 saying, please join me in Boston, and his secretary did not send it. And I think the reason she didn't send it, if I can make a guess there too, is that you know, Jack and Jackie had just lost a baby and it looked like maybe their marriage could be on better footing, that they were coming together and she didn't want to jeopardize that. In fact, Kennedy went to Boston and slept with the 20-year-old intern he'd, who he'd been sleeping with for a year. So, I mean, no one seemed to grasp, you know, what was really going on in his psyche. All of her research, whatever she did, whatever she said, was all in the service of uh, her, her sense of obligation to him. And perhaps also her sense of guilt that maybe the, one of the reasons he got killed was because of positions he took that he would not have taken if she had not been his lover.
0: How soon do you think she was on the CIA's radar? I mean, I, after she divorced Cord Meyer in the in the nineteen fifties, it's it's reported that James Jesus Angleton, who was married to her good Vassar friend, was, began wiretapping her phones the moment that she and Cord divorced. Uh, so was she being monitored ever since then, or? Well, when? I
2: think Angleton. A- Angleton was a sick guy, and I think he had a kind of romantic and sexual fascination with her. Ah. He was also the godfather to all three of her children. She notes, uh, and this is documented elsewhere, you know, a break-in at her house, and she reports it to the police. and The cellar door is open. It's a heavy door in the winter. How did that happen? Uh, and she feels she's under surveillance. Again, this is stuff that is unprovable.
0: I want to circle back to something that I I didn't mention earlier. You 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 talk about it in the book, and and uh, because you mentioned her children, and I think it's important to really illustrate what kind of a person Mary Pinchot Meyer was after the the, the horrible accident that claimed the life of her uh, her second son at the age of nine. And there she is cradling her her dying boy in her arms until the ambulance arrives, and then she goes to comfort the driver who killed her son.
2: Yeah. It's a very telling... De- it You could say it's a telling detail, but it's not. It's a real expression of character.
0: I'll say, my
2: word. Um, well, you know, also, uh, these uh, both she and her sister had certain religious and spiritual interests that were not, uh, you know, standard Christian beliefs. They were expansionists. I mean, uh, you know, Alan Watts and Krishna Murthy, and those, those people were were in their conversation, and this was not true of most of the women in Georgetown. And additionally, she was an artist. She hung out with artists who are always, always outsiders. So, uh, her, so she was, uh, I think the point you're making is, she was much closer to her emotions, to, to a knowledge of, of her emotional life, than a lot of the people she was surrounded with, and certainly all of the men.
0: The day she died in 1964, the day she was murdered, there's some interesting things happening. Ben Bradley gets a phone call even before her body is discovered by by Wister Janney, another uh, CIA officer. Bradley and um, Ben Bradley and, uh, and and Tina, I believe, show up at Mary's house, and and mm-hmm. they find James Jesus Angleton reportedly there with a set of bolt cutters, I guess, ready to break into her house. Mm-hmm. Tell me, what were they all after?
2: Well, presumably they were after the diary. I was actually reminded of something else, uh, you know, the phone call to Bradley. I once interviewed Armand Hammer in California, and he said, I can only give you 20 minutes because the Russian prime minister has died and I've got to get on a plane. But the death of the Russian prime minister wasn't announced for two days
1: after that, right?
2: <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, well, if you say so, I mean, you know, sure, I mean, tell me anything. This is only for Architectural Digest. Why, why would I care? Fine. You're busy. You're blowing me off. Your house is a you know piece of crap. Anyway. Anyway, you've got, you know, light bulbs dangling because you don't spend money on it. But fine, (laughs) we're doing a piece on you and and I'm the sucker who's writing it. And in 20 minutes, I'll get what I can get. So, you know, I think a lot of things, you know, happen like Bradley getting a phone call before she was really dead. Almost. Uh, Obviously, uh, it makes you wonder. Bradley also had very, very sketchy memory about what was in the diary and when he discovered it and when he was burned. And, and several books have pointed out that he couldn't keep his story straight. He didn't have one story.
0: And Tina, uh, Mary's sister, was she present when the... Uh, Tony, the, Tony. I'm sorry, Tony. My apologies. Tony, was she yeah, present when Tony the diary was, was burned? Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, they looked at it. Bravity was shocked. Now, this is also kind of amazing. His uh, sister-in-law is having an affair with the president he has no clue, but fine have it his way Uh, but you know they look at it and they say it's mostly an art sketchbook and it has 20 odd cryptic references to an unnamed lover they figure out exactly who it is they give the diary to Angleton eventually Angleton gives it back if Angleton doesn't make a copy of it, I would be stunned. And there are of course people who feel that the diary is never burned, that it exists, and it's somewhere in Hawaii. This, that, or the other. I mean, you can go down any rabbit hole you want here. But then, but then the Bradleys burn it, and allegedly her best friend called and said, "Secure the diary, and you know, save it. Eventually, Mary's children might like it." But you know, Mary's children never never saw it and they were the least consideration
0: how was the murder originally pinned on this young african-american crump
2: well he was there i mean he had either been with a woman uh and having sex on the shore he said he was fishing because he'd fallen into the water he didn't have a fishing rod it was in fact home i mean he was a damaged guy and he had a history of violence and he would have more history of violence. So, um, but, you know, there were 54 witnesses at the trial and all of them misidentified him. He was like 5'3", 130 pounds. And they all said he was much, much bigger. Plus he had a fantastically good lawyer who uh, was a noted civil rights lawyer. And uh, the only person who, you know, said, you know, I was right there and I saw him was the witness who, Peter Janney believes was actually the killer Uh, it's one of those things where once the original suspect is acquitted nothing happens this is not unique to this murder it just becomes an open case it goes into the dead files
0: was she about to go public about her thoughts on not only the Warren report but perhaps her relationship with with Jack Kennedy do you think
2: not for a minute i don 't think so, let us remember where she came from, which is Park Avenue, the Braley School Vassar, a baronial estate in Pennsylvania. no uh, publicity was exactly the last thing she would she would have sought, and it uh it would have made her a target, among other things. But more to the point, it, 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 even you and I are careful about what we say because we have children. And I don't want my children to suffer because I said blabbed something stupid or libeled somebody or just was you know, momentarily insane. So uh, Mary was very, very devoted to her children. And I think her real thought was to protect them.
0: But somebody, obviously, was worried uh, that, what, she might go public or that she may have written it down.
2: Yeah, I mean, considering, and, you know, this is where uh, now we move into your zone, which is the zone of conspiracies. You know, as you know much, much better than I do, a great many witnesses to the assassination died rather surprisingly uh, soon after the assassination. I mean, large numbers. Yes. So, there's a way of looking at mary's murder as simply house cleaning and you know the cia bit, let's put it this way there's a lawyer named arthur lyman who uh was worked on the iran Contra, but he also did a lot of white collar work a very notable lawyer in in new york and uh, he once said to me uh so ivan bosky and dennis levine you think that was ivan's first felony <laughs> no he was the one he got caught for and so you know the cia has a long and disreputable record of you know, assassination and conspiracies in South America and causing revolutions and so um, eliminating a Washington woman is you know awkward painful but perhaps if you think it's necessary you don't really lose a night's sleep over it
0: just another loose end
2: it's more important right I mean there's a Dalai Lama story about um, you're not supposed to kill anybody But there were these pirates, and they were going to kill 500 people. And so a Buddhist hero kills the pirates. Yeah, not supposed to do that, but you saved 500. So put that into a different mindset, and you could say, well, the CIA said, you know, it's important to preserve democracy, and we need to have order in this country. And God knows what Mary would have said. I mean, she could have said that Lyndon Johnson was behind it. I mean, you don't know. So, you know, better to have silence.
0: Do you think Mary believed that Jack would divorce Jackie and that they might remarry after 64.
2: I believe it's in several books that he fantasized about it. As I have her say, Jack, it's a terrible idea. You would be reviled and I would be Wallace Simpson. And, <laughs> uh, and also, she also knew what the marriage would be. Look, as someone said, if you marry your mistress, it creates a vacancy. <laughs> he wasn't going to be faithful to her. And, and she knew that. And, uh, and indeed, if i had to make a wild uh, conjecture i would say that the sexual part of their relationship had largely cooled by his assassination and that she had become a trusted friend and i mean it was amazing she lasted as long as she did mm. because he was very very flighty and he had no continued interest in a relationship with almost anybody
0: I think I know the answer to this, but what's the bigger takeaway here for readers in, in your mind, or uh, is it the love story or the tragedy?
2: Well, uh, the love story is the Velvet Glove. I mean, I like to write love stories. I could not have written a conspiracy book, right? I could not have written a book, for example, like Peter Jennings because he wrote it. When I, my skill is dialogue. My skill is a reasonable understanding of how people are. I've been married three times. I think I've have a, a, a small sense of women. Uh, all my friends are women, as I say. Uh, I, I felt I could deliver this woman and that you could come to respect her and admire and understand her. And then at the end, you would say, well, there's a, a line of A.J. Liebling's uh, writer. He said, You can ask a man questions, he may or may not give you the answers, but if you let him tell his own story in his own way, at the end you can say, yes, but how did the axe come to be in your hand? (laughs) Right? And I wanted to let her tell her story in her own way. And then suddenly she's dead. Oh, you didn't know that was going to happen. You you knew from the beginning that it happened, but you forgot in the reading. And that, if I have any skill as a writer, if I did that, then the book is successful.
0: To what extent is Mary Meyer responsible for our impression of Jack Kennedy being this, you know, great president, or or at least had the potential to be one of the greatest presidents.
2: Yeah. I mean, Kennedy was actually sort of a lousy president for the first couple of years. For one thing, he was a speed freak. I mean, he was addicted to all kinds of drugs and he was uh, making bad decisions and they finally had to get the White House doctors forced this guy Max Jacobs who was living in the White House forced him out and got Kennedy onto more stable drugs yeah uh, at the end he was nothing but promise I mean, he finally had a bit of of potential. Before then, his ideal were the Whig politicians of England in the 1840s, who, when the Whigs owned 70% of English land, and they were totally do nothing politically, and they weren't pro-union or pro-anybody except themselves. They were like Republicans now, right? They just voted their own interests. And that was Jack's that was Jack's history. That was his fantasy of himself. And I think Mary is re- as responsible as anybody for moving him off that fantasy.
0: How do we get a hold of uh, JFK and Mary Meyer, a love story?
2: Um, <laughs> you're, you're very kind. If you order it on Amazon Canada, uh, you're going to have a one to three week wait because for some reason there aren't books there. Um, there's actually a shortage of books. I'm really glad you asked. It's uh, not in many bookstores, and I'm told there's about to be a large review, possibly very enthusiastic, and that will further deplete it. The, uh, I'm afraid to say the answer is Amazon, American, American Amazon. All right. You can have it tomorrow.
0: And as a screenwriter, is there a, um, is there a movie in the, in the future, a movie version of this?
2: Well, there are no more movies. What there is is streaming. And uh, as you see in the Oscars, movies are increasingly, you know, joy rides and things that can lead to series. Yeah, if, if the book is well received, there are things that can happen to and for it. There's also a possible play. I'm in a one woman show. I've been someone's talked to me about this in which, you know, uh, Mary Meyer stands alone on stage and tells her story. As Mort Saul would say, the future lies ahead.
0: Jesse, thanks so much for this. I, uh, I enjoyed meeting you and speaking with you.
2: This was beyond the pleasure for me. These were the fastest few minutes of my life. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you. <laughs> Be very well. Thank you.
0: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs... I'll be back in a flash with a few words about an upcoming episode. Time once again to say hello to Colleen Forgus, our full script Dispensary Manager, Nutritional Therapist. How are you, Colleen? I'm wonderful, Richard. How are you? Terrific. You know, after the holidays, people sort of make resolutions they're going to start eating healthier. We've been indulging so much over the holidays. Some of us want a detox. What do you have for us?
1: The product I recommend is called NAC. It's by Biotics Research. NAC stands for N-acetyl-L-cysteine, and it's actually a precursor to the master antioxidant, glutathione.
0: Oh, so what does it do? It helps you produce glutathione?
1: It does. It helps their body to produce it naturally. And it also is wonderful for people that are having breathing issues. So if someone's a smoker or COPD, this might be helpful for them. If you have an intense workout, this is great for recovery. So there's lots of good things about NAC, and it especially helps with detox
0: terrific. To get your NAC, all you need to do is go to strangeplanet.ca and click on the full script dispensary button and then register. Remember, all orders receive 10% off and orders of $50 or more ship for free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your health care provider. Coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited, Robert W. Sullivan IV discusses occult symbols in cinema and predictive programming. One of the best ones of predictive programming for Trump or pr-
2: prophetic vision.